Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to today's collective Thursday. Got a special guest on, Super Cyan Magical Girl, Tanya. Uh, I, I refer to her both as Tanya and as Super Cyan Magical Girl, depending on my mood, depending on what we're talking about today. Which would you be prefer to be referred to as Tanya? Um, either or works. Like you have been called much worse, and <laughs> I'm, I'm actually surprised you, you have moods, as in several. <laughs> so well, I'm, I'm still have, I'm shook by that. I have been called lots of things, that's for sure. Mostly rude and mostly by good friends of mine, and uh, it's probably warranted. So uh, thanks for joining us today. We started off a little late because we're still having some technical issues with the audio stream and with our platform, StreamYard. That we're sorting out but that's one of the things about the journey is figuring out uh, the path that you're on and making an adjusting adjustments accordingly today's topic uh, as i wrote it down here is aspirations interrupted it's a topic that chance burles uh, chose and uh, you can see chance right now he's on mute because he's in the busiest coffee shop on the entire intergalactic sphere uh, and his uh, wi-fi is a bit garbly so uh, we're going to continue the conversation without Chance. He's going to work uh, all of the Wizard of Oz magic by flipping screens around and uh, working the comments. So uh, thanks for doing that, Chance. Uh, I think I'll kick it off uh, with aspirations interrupted by simply uh, proposing um, a starting point being uh, a career interrupted. And so um, my aspirations to become a world champion in 24-hour solo mountain bike racing, I achieved that in 2009. But as, as is my way, I wanted more. I wanted to do harder things. I wanted to double champ. I wanted to triple champ. I wanted to become a world champion in 24-hour solo mountain bike racing on a unicycle. I wanted to do it with uh, one eye patch. I wanted to make it more and more difficult more and more often and so as i ratcheted up the difficulty um, after achieving my uh, world championship i blew my acl in my left knee uh, i torched my knee and effectively that put 24-hour solo mountain bike racing at a at a on a halt as it were because of my knee uh, but it was right about that time that uh, i was also uh, getting a bit uh, not bored of 24-hour solo mountain bike racing but i was starting to realize that the was the juice worth the squeeze so my career of 24-hour solo championships i think was interrupted by fate my knee and the realization that in order to proceed forward with my uh, uncooperative knee i would have to make even greater sacrifices than the ones i was already making so I came to a, a, a branching decision where I had to decide, should I just stubbornly proceed ahead? And I chose not to. So I effectively abandoned my singular pursuit of repeated world championship wins. And I switched uh, directions uh, in an entirely different uh, arena. And so at that point where I was making that uh, uncomfortable decision, I had a lot of my personal identity attached to becoming a world champion, being a world champion, and coaching as a world champion. And so giving up that, um, we'll call it avatar, as it were, it was an uncomfortable decision for me because people knew me as Sean the world champion or as Sean the 24-hour solo mountain bike racer. And uh, that was 
uncomfortable for me knowing that my a certain piece of my identity that I'd attached to, I was going to be giving it up. And I hadn't really come to the realization that I had identified as Sean the dot, dot, dot. And I was probably clinging to it a little bit too hard. So it was a really valuable exercise for me to give up the identity or the title of uh, Sean the 24-hour solo mountain bike racer. Uh, because, uh, you know, upon ref uh, upon reflection, I came to realize that I'd just been clinging too tightly and I had become a little one-dimensional in my um, my approach to what I wanted in life. So the injury was kind of a blessing in disguise to some degree. So my aspirations, though interrupted, was probably one of the great lessons of my life to better understand how to um, give something up that you feel is really important. And once you've given it up, realize that it actually wasn't that important. But uh, these are things that you've got to learn uh, the hard way. And I learned it the hard way by really struggling in that moment to give it up. So that's where I'm starting with the transparent uh, uh, offering of I wanted to be something I didn't get to be that something, and I struggled when I realized that I couldn't uh, become what I wanted. Uh, what are your thoughts, Tanya? There's so much on it. Um, I, I for once, don't have that many questions, but it's, uh, I don't know, it's, there's just so much, yeah, there's just so much information there that I'm trying to just process, process it all, and what actually I do have a question was there similarities between this aspiration becoming interrupted and while your military career came to a natural end was there a similar sort of feeling where you, you just kind of hit the I don't know, hit the ground really really hard in terms of the realization that this is your new reality yeah it's a great question and uh, it's right on point it's a insightful observation I would say the uh, it just like my military career coming to an end and moving directly into a civilian or into the veteran world um, that was a really difficult transition and I didn't have much of a plan just like when I blew my knee I didn't have much of a plan stepping away from uh, um, high performance racing so as is my way I just stubborned my way through it so it's not that I need uh, a grand plan directly in front of me to shift gears or to shift my focus I don't need a grand plan what usually I, I most uh, mostly need is the understanding or the realization that I'm moving into a new thing I'm shifting gears I'm recalibrating and uh, so for me to do a 180 is not difficult once I realize or I tell myself I have to do a 180. So stepping into the unknown is not that difficult. It's giving up or taking that first step away from the thing that uh, I love or I'm good at or that I want to stay in or that uh, I, I, I feel like I, I should still give it another week or two of hard effort. Um, once, once I come to the realization that I really have to take a foot step forward away from it then I'm okay 
but it's the struggle of the moment of not wanting to step away from the thing that I love or I'm really good at or what whatever the case is, if that makes sense. It does. It does. And I'm going to be I'm follow up questions upon follow up questions. Beautiful. So. While it may be. I would say almost innate in you to be able to discern the difference between quitting and just changing tactics. How would you describe that to somebody? Because most of us are trying to learn that uh, I find hustle culture, hustle mentality and toxic productivity kind of it. It tends to tell us to smash our head against the wall, but sometimes it's better to go over the wall, around the wall or look to your right and there's actually a door. And how would you go about explaining or describing how you made that distinction because you don't really have much quit in you and i imagine things that smell any smell remotely like quitting it it can be tough so i'd love to hear about that well i i am i i hate quitting i if if you want to challenge me challenge me not to quit <laughs> and i freaking never quit but having to quit for the team as an example is an easy thing for me to consider if i'm quitting for myself that is not an easy consideration for me uh, i i do not like to quit on myself um, but if someone says sean you've got to quit for the team okay i'll take that into consideration uh, but if someone says you got to quit for yourself pff, i'm probably going to ignore you uh, but uh, that's just the stubbornness in me and uh, the stubbornness in me has got me uh, pretty far down a lot of paths. But uh, there's only so far that stubbornness can take you, especially once you get deeper down the path where it requires more nuance or, or better perspective on how to play the deep game really well. Uh, well, stubbornness just isn't enough sometimes. So it's at that point that I think uh, the nuance or life experience is helpful. And so I'll, I'll take it back to when I was a young buck and I was uh, coming up through the system. You can stubborn your way through a lot of stuff, but at some point you get uh, far enough down the path that you have to apply experience. So in, in early days, I would have run at a wall and banged my head on it until the wall fell down. But later in my career, I'd done enough head banging that I could just look at an obstacle and I'd be on the other side of it before I even had to think about it because I'd just... All of the mistakes, all of the paths through, under, over, around that uh, obstacle, I'd faced them all and offloaded them into a pattern uh, within my mind that just created instant solutions the moment that I saw instant obstacles. So at some point, I, me, at some point, I uh, stopped seeing obstacles. I just started seeing solutions. And so, um, one of the interesting problems with seeing solutions instead of seeing obstacles is you, I refuse to accept when I really face a hard obstacle because I'm so used to seeing solutions. So the obstacle of your knee is blowing, you can't just see the solution and it appears uh, the following day. Now, these are things that uh, aren't magical uh, Harry Potter moments. You've got to face the harsh reality of 
it's uh, it's it's not just a simple fix on this one, or it's not an experience fix on this one. It's a branch banking new problem that isn't going to go away by the end of the week. Those are things that uh, are challenging, of course, but if you faced enough adversity or enough problems or enough complexity, enough chaos in life, then it's I understand that there's always a solution. We can always find a way forward uh, down the path. So uh, maybe when I was younger uh, and I was stubborning my way through life, I didn't face enough hard challenges to really put me on my back and really make me feel like uh, there's no way forward or I don't know how the world works or life is really challenging and I think I don't have any solutions. I just stubborned enough that patterns started forming and the patterns started allowing me to just almost shapeshift through life to some degree, if that makes sense. That does make sense. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> And yeah, I, I remember you mentioning on a live stream that I appear to be running a very similar program as yours, which I found to be one of the greatest compliments I've ever received and also a horrifying realization. <laughs> uh, because yes, I have also stubborned my way through so many things. And like you said, it's through experience that I began to learn what things were a dead end in terms of what approaches to take where they won't bear the kind of fruit that I'm looking for. And, and maybe it's time to take another angle, but I, I feel like there I'm, I'm guessing, but was being stubborn and accruing experience is important, but from what I gather, it's also kind of the, um, self-run after action report, right? And one that's run properly versus just thinking, oh, this happened and I'm a, either a victim or maybe I just need to smash harder in the exact same way and do that over and over there. I imagine growth happens when you actually sit with yourself or with a mentor or something and go through it and analyze and learn what you truly needed. Uh, in that process. And then you can, then that experience actually is useful versus there is an event, this thing happened to me, I learned nothing. And then that experience is now thrown to the wayside, right? Um, just wondering about your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, that is a good uh, observation or question uh, or a line of uh, uh, discussion because in my early career, I didn't realize what was happening all around me. Uh, until many years later, looking back on it, and it was this. I was just simply doing my best, but I was tracking the guys around me to see who was doing it really well and understanding that if they can do it, I can do it. And once I kind of realized it, they're no different than I am, I just have to pick up my pace, well, then I started kind of matching their velocity, matching their abilities, matching their performances, and... Um, any time that I was making errors, the, the group that I was surrounded by, it was instant feedback. We didn't like turn our heads away from problems or problems weren't ignored or mistakes weren't uh, buried in the sand. Um, it was direct, immediate feedback to critically change your ways to a more positive outcome or a better result. 
And so the um, what was happening to me in real time when I was a young buck is I was being calibrated to become far better as a human being. I just didn't see it. I didn't realize it because it was happening so often. It was so real time. So uh, there was never a time in my life where I did a whole pile of things and then got a chance to sit down and contemplate it. And then several days later, a team approached me and said, okay, now we're going to talk about uh, you individually, Sean, and how you can do it better. There's never any of that. It was very rapid fire, direct, concise, and uh, quite frankly, blunt um, conversations that it, it, there was no, uh, no one held back for someone's sensibilities. No one ever dialed back the conversation because someone was a little bit too emotionally invested uh, in the problem or the outcome. Uh, it was always direct, concise, and almost uh, uh, too hard uh, of uh, feedback. But I got used to that, and I got really comfortable with that. And uh, so I came to realize that I, I, don't, I don't need someone to pat me on the back and tell me I did a great job. What I do need, and I mean need, is someone to say, bro, you got to pick up the pace here, here, and here. Then I've got milestones. Then I've got something to action against. Then I've got something to smash. So if someone says, you know, this, this week has been amazing, I don't care. I have zero interest in that. I'll only say the week has been amazing for others. I don't need to hear it for myself. What I do need is this week sucked and you need to fix this, this, and this. Bam, I'm on it. So that's how I was raised. And I'm super comfortable in that environment where um, when I get feedback, I will instantly action it. And the feedback I need is the critical analysis of my performances. Awesome. I'm, I'm going to bring up, I guess, my point. And then uh, we have a really good question by Winterstorm. So I'll hit that after. I'm, I'm listening and I, I can see how that is still reflected in just how you run your day-to-day -day program now. And people think they want things to be more sensitive or more soft, like the edges to be softened. But I can at least speak from my personal experience. I would have loved relatively quick, immediate feedback that was blunt, concise, um, concise and actionable. Because outside of the military, at least from what I've experienced, people don't do that. They just go, you suck. And then that's it. Just you suck. Fix that. Whereas, and I've been on the receiving end is, I've been told by Sean, you're you're sucking right now. And this is what you do. You do this, this, and this to progressively suck less. So I, I found that to be a really interesting point. And in terms of, in terms of how you calibrate it as you went along and watched the people, I, I can see where like I diverge because I had these experiences and I calibrated to the people around me, but unfortunately they weren't the best exemplars, so to speak. And that's not all on them, but even I was more of a overwhelmed passive kind of mentality. I believe you guys call it a more victim mentality. 
And I would look at these experiences with a different lens. So whereas you saw something where this went wrong and this is how I could do better, I just looked at them without the ability to contextualize um, or to create actionable steps is how to improve that the next time it came around. So I, I just, I'm just noticing the, the divergence, the divergences and, um, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. I'm just going to pull up uh, some comments by winter storm. So winter storm. Also, he says, good morning. Good morning. And he is asking, do you believe we learn when we are being stubborn or are we so task oriented that we only see the end? If you want to take that, Sean. Yeah, sure. Um, interestingly enough, and, and I got to, before I answer it, can you leave that question up, please? Before I answer the question or, or give my opinion, not answer the question, before I give my opinion, um, I'll just say that um, though we may have some divergence, Tanya, in respect to um, the approach of direct, concise feedback and, and, and immediately executing against that feedback. I think that there was a time when we had a greater divergence, but I think that our, our divergence is less so now. And I think the most important part is this, that it's not about the velocity of the execution of a divergence. It's more about the understanding that you are diverging, but at least that understanding exists because there was a time when you didn't even know there was divergence. You simply knew your program and you thought your program was a good program. And guess what? Maybe it was. Who knows? You never know how good or bad your program is until you contextualize it against a program that you can evaluate and, and decide whether that's a better program for you or not. Or maybe a hybridized model where your pre-existing model and the new model can uh, interact in a way that is providing greater benefit for you. So I think that there's some importance to contextualizing the way that you're running your program. However, in order to contextualize, you got to go find a dude or a chick who's got a good program and you got to hang out with them. You got to, you got to like get that feedback. You got to be in that game. You've got to be around a group that is running a tight ship to some degree, or at least heading the ship in the general direction of not an iceberg. And so um, the it, it's not that you're lucky to hang out with good people. Those good people are lucky to hang out with you. But both parties, you and those good people, need to uh, play well together so that both parties benefit from it. So just like you are over here on the collective, Tanya, we're greatly benefiting from your um, you being involved with us to some degree and just generally being super cool. Uh, so we benefit from that, but to some degree, you get to benefit by observing these kind of conversations or observing how you fit into the grand scheme of thing over the years. Uh, and so it's good contextualization for yourself or anyone who's watching this. Um, and so with that said, I'll go on to the uh, question. Um, I'm, I'm stubborn all the time, but I learn all the time. And so for me, I, I stubborn my way through something until it gives me a course correction. And that's usually I get cuffed upside the head or I wipe out on my bike or, or I need more sleep or I need to eat more or whatever mistakes I'm making from being super stubborn. Well, life corrects it for me. 
And I've been in the game of being corrected for so long that it's easy for me to feel a correction, to sense a correction is required. So I will always stubborn my way through life until I feel the need to course correct. So um, I don't find it overly difficult to stay task oriented and stubborn and complete the task as I see fit while still finding the right um, adjustment factor to not implode or explode or uh, uh, fizzle out as it were. Um, I, I, know, I know how much workload I can absorb, how much stressors I can absorb. And so then it's for me to determine how important is the task. And then that comes onto a priority basis. So if the task is to load the dishwasher and it's got a one out of 10 priority, well, I'll stubbornly load the dishwasher whether I want to or not, but it's not going to get my full conviction. But you put a task in front of me that requires a 10 out of 10 priority. Well, freaking get out of my way. I mean, everyone get out of my way because I'm going to kick that problem right in the teeth. And so it comes down to the idea of prioritization against the task and how stubborn I have to be. But I'm always stubborn. I'm always task-oriented. It's a matter of how much I prioritize the task against the velocity required. I hope that makes sense. I'm going to channel Chan. I like that. Um, <laughs> well done. Thank you. Um, so, Zach, I would say that I am, again, eerily similar. I found that it has been through experience and guidance through mentors that have taught me where and when to channel the stubbornness because it can be very much, I, I draw a lot of parallels with jujitsu. Stubborn is great, but if you're only driving in that one direction and that one direction isn't working, then it's, it's pointless. So I'm stubborn all the time. I come from, I come from a woman who decided she had had enough of communism and just got out of there and worked four jobs, you know, the classic immigrant stories. So I'm, I'm as stubborn as they come, but I've had to learn, <clears throat> excuse me, the internal cues that tell me when the stubbornness is becoming very ego driven, or it's becoming, I would say unproductive. And also when to apply that stubbornness to things I don't quite like doing, such as dishwasher, if the dishwasher hasn't been loaded, or um, hasn't been emptied in like 10 days, and things are piling up. I have to channel that stubbornness towards doing that task. Um, and I, once again, liken it to jujitsu. I find that the more experienced you get as a jujitsu player, you, you reserve your stubbornness to the right spots. You're not going to have, uh, an all out death match or run around like a, you know, like a crazy person, but there are certain things that you don't concede. Uh, for me, I don't like to be on my back. That's just. I don't concede certain grips. I don't, I don't concede very specific things, but then there will be concessions. I will allow someone to get, to get past my guard only if I am to respond in a specific way. So there are concessions, but they are 
planned or strategic concessions in order to get to somewhere else. And I would say that's my thoughts on it. And I'd love to hear yours. Well, let me ask you this. So when you're conceding a position, those would be uh, uh, tactical uh, considerations where you're giving up small advantages or accepting small disadvantages in order to improve your overall strategic position. So when you're on the mat considering the strategy of the role, do you consider your strategy as I must win or as I must learn? I would consider my strategy of to be, I must learn and also from a more curious place where I must explore and find out more about this particular spot. There were instances where I would, I would concede a position and give myself the excuse of, oh, I just want to start learning how to use half guard. So I let the person pass through. Whereas much like life, I find that does build bad habits. And I was also instructed by a mentor about that. And instead of conceding and being in a disadvantage, uh, yeah, disadvantaged position, I want to start in a disadvantaged position, if that makes sense. I'm probably contradicting myself, but uh, that's life. Um, well, I don't think you're contradicting. Mm -hmm. I don't think you're contradicting yourself. What I do think is you're considering why you're doing things. Mm -hmm. So I think it's the why of the moment that becomes the defining uh, point in time as to the choices that you're making and the simple act of considering the why of the role or the intent of the role. The moment that you start thinking about that is the moment that you're in the real time now game of uh, what, what is, what is my purpose? Why do I exist right now? We can, we can flop ourselves onto the mat and roll and play and have fun and fight and all of that good stuff. And that's, that's going to produce results. It's going to produce uh, eventual outcomes. But intentionally determining, am I here to learn? Am I here to win? Am I here to lose? Am I here to cry? Am I here to laugh? These kind of things, these simple considerations are important considerations that I'm not going to insist everyone has to consider before they step onto BJJ mat or step into life. I won't insist, but I will suggest that they're important considerations at all points in your life. You know, to this to this podcast, let's talk about that for a sec. Um, you know, we just struggled through a whole pile of audio uh, uh, issues in order to go live in this podcast. Why even bother? Why did we even fight through all of that nonsense to get to this point now uh, where we're uh, talking about these kind of things? Well, the fight is worth it. The struggle is worth it if the goal that you're seeking is righteous. And through the adversity of fighting the good fight to get to this point where we're having this conversation, we learned a few things. We got to work through some adversity calmly, coolly, not freak out. We got to learn a couple of things about maybe some settings. We got to learn X, Y, and Z. We got to act as a team and create a product that even in all of the nonsense that we had to put up with, well, guess what? We're still kicking ass. So I feel that it's important to face the hard times. It's in, 
important to face the good times, but all of the facing things has to be done intentionally. Why are we even doing what we're doing right now? So if, if there wasn't a good reason for us to be podcasting right now, if there wasn't a good reason to have this conversation, you think we'd be having it? There's just no way. It wouldn't have happened. We would have just thrown our hands up and said, see you tomorrow. But that's just not the way I like to run my life, and it's not the way that you guys like to run your life. Stubbornly, we committed to creating the solution right now in the real time, and we've learned a few things. So I consider these things as a good, a good deal, as it were. I agree. And to further expound on my point regarding jujitsu, strategic con concessions are, I think, where it's at. And like you said, it's your why. Because I realized I was letting people in to say my half guard with the excuse that I wanted to work that versus, but when I sat down, I was like, oh, it's because I'm lazy and I don't feel like okay. either upskilling them to be like, this is how you pass my whatever I'm doing. Or I didn't feel like I just didn't. Yeah, essentially, I was lazy. I didn't feel like trying. And I realized that facing adversity or conceding because I've either made a mistake and didn't learn from it or because I was just plain old lazy, those weren't acceptable. So then I had to start being much more intentional and either upskilling my partner as to what to do, especially if they're less experienced or just immersing myself in that. Like, let's start in the uh, worst case scenario. You know, you have an underhook cross face. Just give me the give me the business. Let's start there versus just letting it happen. And I, I also, I also wanted to talk about or if we could switch gears a bit is that you can never figure out the, I guess the final or near, the latter, later effects of the choices that you make because these aspirations were interrupted and they can, they can be devastating because they are an attack on your inner narrative, your story. You've built up this idea of yourself and now it gets smashed by the semi-truck of reality. And I had a, a number of those things where I thought I wanted to be this rock star artist or become a fighter uh, or a tattoo artist or compete in jujitsu. And the last two, the tattoo artist and the competing in jujitsu got interrupted by COVID. You know, that put a big old kibosh on things and also tearing my ACL. So it was tempting and I'm sure I ventured into that territory of woe is me and this sucks and I can't become what I had thought of, but never, let's be honest, never really made proper plans and actionable steps as to how to get there. But in the end, I, I took those lemons and I made lemonade through COVID. I was, I recognized it as a chance to essentially rehab a number of foundational issues with my body. And now I'm, you know, stronger, better, not smarter, but faster than I was before. And, and I realized that while those aspirations were interrupted and as frustrating as that was, it, 
it was only as awful as I made of it. And that's not to discount, you know, all the terrible things the pandemic was for a lot of people. It's just for my personal story. I applied my stubbornness and I was like, okay, let's change the way we look at this. And it's not something happening to me. It is an opportunity for me to, to just improve as a person. And I guess I, that's it for me. I, I, I like that because uh, <clears throat> what you have discussed is, I think, a pretty good example of stubborning your way through life, but then having to figure out how to accept direct, concise, and blunt advice to yourself. So in absence of someone kind of standing right next to you and saying, hey, get over here, you dummy, and having that hard conversation with you, that's now left to you to have the conversation with yourself. And so that's probably the most potent or the most impactful lesson in life is having a blunt, hard conversation with yourself to change your ways, to shake your head, to get with the program. And uh, whatever that means to anyone out there, whether it's a small calibration or a big calibration, it's just a simple fact of until you start doing things right, you're doing things wrong. And if you're accepting those wrong things, well, you're accepting mediocrity. The, the point that I'd like to make is the moment that you start pursuing awesomeness, now you're in the game fully. If someone is out there pursuing mediocrity, you're not in the game fully. You're dabbling. You're halfway into the game, maybe a quarter of the way into the game. If mediocrity is any, in any of your paragraphs, well, you're doing it wrong. Pursue your best version of yourself. But in order to do that, you've either got to accept some really tough conversations from those people around you, or you've got to accept the tough conversation from yourself. And I think that the real difference between when the needle gets moved, what I see anyway out there whenever I'm either working with someone or talking with someone or hanging out with someone or observing someone, where I really see the big differences is the uh, relative speed that they engage in the process. So if I see someone making small changes towards more awesomeness and it's taking them a decade, that's not commitment. That, that's, that's kind of riding a surface level of effort. But if I see someone make a big change in their life, like a 180 in a matter of a few months, well, they're really engaging. And I think that's the really important lesson in life is you can, two people can get to the same outcome. One will get there in a year, one will get there in 10 years. And from the outside perspective, it might be observed as, well, they both reached the outcome. They both learned the lesson, but I disagree. They both achieved the same outcome, but they were on different paths. And the path that lasted a year is the one that taught the most. Because in order to get there in a year's time to make those huge, huge positive changes, you've really got to face the heat of the moment. You've got to learn some really hard lessons through some steep adversity versus it being amortized out over 10 years. I feel that the one-year person is a, is a better person for it than the 10-year person. What do you think about that? I 
I would, I'm going to pull a Sean and I'm going to add some nuance to that. Beautiful. <laughs> I would say that I agree. There were some instances where I felt like I was really putting in an effort. Um, for example, with my back pain, I was like, I'm foam rolling and putting CBD. And after, you know, back spasm 10 million, I was whining to myself that it wasn't working. And there was a moment where I, I had to say to myself, but you haven't actually tried. You haven't actually applied effort. And then that was the uh, reality check where I'm like, okay, guess I'm going to a physiotherapist and we're actually going to put in real work because you had mentioned a lot of people like the, the feel good, the foam rolling feels nice, doesn't involve much of anything. It's very passive. Most people don't want to be stuck there doing boring leg lifts or just playing with elastic bands for six months. But that is how you get to where you need to go is putting in that work. And so that would be where I would agree, especially in this age of instant gratification. But the nuance would be it's one person might take one year and the other person might take 10. And I think it's important to also be mindful of where they started because it may be that that metaphor might work or that um, nuance might work better with say financial or physical journeys because what may not what may appear to be unimpressive uh, is actually rendered far more inspirational when you figure out how far they've come. However, I think that while the outcome might take longer or might not be as big, it the effort, if someone puts in all they've got every day and work hard, they will get there and I don't quite remember where I was going with this, but they will get there and it won't take as long as you think it will because it, it's really, if you put everything in there, you'll get as far as the other people who maybe had a head start or maybe had had a had it easier in a way mm. and once you catch up i i think i found my point now once you catch up all that work that you did before it's gonna snowball and you'll actually get further faster and yeah i think that was my point i don't quite know where i was going with it but <laughs> that's where i was well, what your point did does allow me to do is say you're right. Uh, I overgeneralized in order to make a generalistic point, but your nuance now allows me to say this, that what I was referring to is two people starting at the same start line with the same load of problems, the exact same life's led, and one gets to the outcome in a year, one gets to the outcome in 10 years, and the person who took 10 years is because they, they applied a 1 out of 10 rather than a 10 out of 10 to get to that end point. And the fact that someone applies a whole pile of uh, effort against a problem is usually where uh, the most learning is done versus a really amortized out effort, you know, a 1 out of 10 for 10 years rather than a 10 out of 10 for one year. The outcome is the outcome, and if they're both identical outcomes, those two identical people will learn two different paths, uh, that's for sure. Now, I guess for the nuance aspect, it really depends on, um, you know, if we take those two identical people, 
they're two different paths to get to the same outcome. And along that path, not only are you going to face a 10 out of 10 adversity versus a 1 out of 10 adversity, there is a difference that is important, and that's the extended world around us. And so while you're really busy being 10 out of 10 and really trying to optimize the path forward, sometimes you don't have a chance to sit on a park bench at a 1 out of 10 and meet the random person who's feeding pigeons and have the conversation that changes your life. And so the two different paths might, may create the same outcomes. I'm suggesting that the one-year path provides the most growth internally, but it doesn't take into account that opportunistic moment on a park bench feeding the birds and, and having some wizard sit next to you and blow your mind by dropping some you know, mic drop wisdom that changes your entire trajectory for the rest of your life. Next thing you know, you're up in the mountains, sitting cross-legged with the fog around you and you've solved the world's problems. Who knows? Who knows? But certainly those two different paths can produce uh, two different individuals with the same outcome. So you're, you're right to bring up the nuance. Yeah. And thank you. Um, I want that tattooed on my body. You are right. Just that part. Sean Taylor. Uh, I'm just going to bring up this last little bit and then we'll get to some comments by Winter Storm. I would say that it, the external world it and honestly, pure luck can have a, a bit to, to play because while I was putting a lot of effort into certain aspirations, they weren't they weren't calibrated to the world outside of me and they weren't guided. So once I, I'd say, how do I say this? I had, I have ADHD and while it's a label and labels can be tricky, I was putting a lot of effort into the wrong things. And then a chance meeting with some guy at my Rosalind Jiu Jitsu gym, that was honestly one of the steps where it got calibrated and that was the park bench not that you're one out of ten but you met somebody and that you go and he, he nudges you into the direction that you need to go and it is hard to factor uh factor for those things and it involves going out there and just seeking people and seeking the people that you aspire to be like or the places that may contain the people that you aspire to be like. And you won't, honestly, you won't find many of those, say at the mall or at the bar. Unfortunately, you have to go to places that, that are, so, are sort of breeding ground, like jujitsu gyms, uh, martial arts gyms. I attribute much of my work ethic to, say, TriStar, because I see GSP training, you know, his heart out, and I am just kind of doing like a, an, an easy rest day. And I'm just here putting a one out of 10 effort and I look over and I go, okay, no, I need to actually get to work because if he's working this hard, I I'm probably should because I don't have, I don't have a fight. I don't have anyone punching me in the face and I don't have, oh yeah, my demands of my life aren't as intense. So I should be able to put in more effort than what I'm doing now. Um, so that would be my point. And I'm going to just read some comments by Winterstorm. Apologies, a bit noisy. 
So Winterstorm 427 says, expect the best from yourself and you will never fall short. Any thoughts on that? I, that's generally how I run my life is not only do I uh, expect, I demand. I demand the best for myself. Literally do your best, Sean, all the time. And so that's, it's, it's not just an empty statement for me. It's something that I've been saying a long time. It's something I've been thinking a long time. And it's so entrenched in my mind that I just, I just understand the results that it produces by doing my best, by demanding the best from myself. It creates outcomes. Those outcomes don't exist if you're a slacker. Those outcomes don't appear magically if you're dabbling. Outcomes that I expect in my life show up through demanding that they show up, not, not conceding an inch to the visualized future that I have. And so that comes down to aspirations. As uh, I wrote down here, aspirations interrupted is the topic of today. What are my aspirations and, and, and how, how on earth would I allow them to be interrupted? So interruptions, as far as I'm concerned, are fate. You know, you're, you blow your knee. That wasn't planned for. It's not what I wanted. But that is fate. That is happenstance. That's bad luck. Call it what you want. That's the universe throwing a, a side ball at you. Well, now it's my job to deal with it. And so aspirations for podcasting, I do have aspirations, not for myself, as I've mentioned before. I've got aspirations for the team. That's why I get frustrated when we have technical issues on our platform because my aspirations don't account for that. Already in my mind, this platform is way bigger than it is currently. And so my aspirations, my expectations, my demands of myself and of the team are much greater than this little moment right now. I'm casting forward into the future with my aspirations and, and freaking force choking all of the problems around me to create the outcome that I demand of myself. And so um, it, I think aspirations, when they are sidelined or they're you get thrown a, a curveball uh, against your aspirations. Now it comes down to this, at least in my world. How much sacrifice am I willing to make to force those aspirations to become reality? Well, in my life, I've done a whole lot of forcing and I've done a whole lot of creating. And my aspirations, when I start seeing them in my mind's eye, they're as good as done. It's just a matter of how many teeth I've got to kick in. And, and if that means my own teeth, well, I guess I'll book a dentist appointment in the near future because I set a certain pace for the outcomes that I demand of myself. If the outcome is righteous, freaking get out of my way. That's just the way I am. And so any aspiration that is interrupted, um, well... What does interrupted mean? It means momentary pause for me to kick it in the teeth and get that aspiration back on track that I demand becomes a real outcome, if that makes sense. Definitely. And for me, the what Winterstorm said, expect the best from yourself and you'll never fall short. I would say that for me, it had a lot 
I, I had to do a lot of work in differenti differentiating between expecting the best effort from myself and perfectionism because I, for some reason in my brain, I was like, okay, if I expect this thing, you know, I want to become, say, uh, Radmaster 9000, but I don't actually make a plan. I don't seek people out. I don't actually do the steps and put in the genuine work, the genuine sacrifice to become said Radmaster 9000. And that would paralyze me because I, I just expected my aspirations to be realized spontaneously. Mm -hmm. If I, if I want it, if I dream and hope, then it will happen. Whereas it needs a lot of hard work and not just a short burst of hard work, but hard work every day for however long it takes, you know? And so that was something that I had to learn is to definitely expect the best effort from myself. And that is, I, I do mutter, do your best. Or did you do your best to myself quite often throughout the day? So I wanted to go to that. And then Winterstorm's other comment where it says 100% of your effort may not always look the same day by day. You may do, ne oops, sorry. You may do less than the next person one day, but exceed well past the same person the next day. Be patient with the process. And I would wholeheartedly agree because I also expected the same level of outcome for myself, regardless of what's happening in my life. If I'm expecting myself to have some sort of ridiculous vert when I have a blown out ACL and I'm recovering from surgery and that's not realistic. So it's to be patient and to have perspective as to what the final outcome is. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, Sean. Well, thanks. I, I agree with the general comment that 100% of your effort may not always look the same day to day. But it's the next part that I want to focus on a little bit. And that is, I don't care if I pass someone or they pass me. That's not how I yardstick myself. I yardstick me against me. So I put out 100%. And then I evaluate my performance in the day based on my my performance, not typically yardsticked against the person I pass or the person that passes me. Maybe when I was younger, I used to be interested in those kind of things. But I've just been in the game too long. I've had too many failures. I've had enough wins that I know when I'm on track, when I'm when I'm in the zone, when I'm in the groove, when I'm flowing, when I'm Zen Master 9000ing uh, life. When I'm on the right trajectory, at the right velocity, I know when it feels right. So I, I, I don't worry about the external world to some degree, if I'm being honest. If whoever's passing me or whoever I'm passing, they're almost like non-factors. They're almost white noise. I've just got to feel that I'm on the right trajectory at the right velocity to create the outcome that I expect. And as long as I, I get those feels, and again, that's feels that are contextualized against decades of trying to figure this stuff out, as long as I've got the right velocity and feel, I know I'm good to go. And the rest of the world, well, that's almost a, a distraction at some times. I agree. Um, I guess. I guess we could say we'd stop the podcast now, but we still got some time left. No, absolutely. And I feel that especially in 
the Instagram instant gratification sort of culture, we, we don't care about the effort. We care about the outcome. And for me, I, it never sat right with me to say, win a fight by cheating or do something without putting in an honest effort. I recall you saying for your athletes that it doesn't matter if they place third, if they gave it everything. It doesn't matter if they place 50th, if they gave it everything. You would actually be harder on them if they placed first, but you knew they did not leave it all out there. And, Correct. And I think that is that is really important is to, yeah, just to keep that, keep that in mind. And I want to segue that into the original topic, which is aspirations interrupted. You described a lot of that about yourself, but what about your athletes? I don't know if anything catastrophic or any life situations have happened to your athletes. So it may simply be a thought experiment, but what, how do you support and lead and guide your athletes when reality uh, you know, blindsides them. Well, there isn't an athlete that I've worked with that hasn't faced these moments and not just a one-off it's from time to time to time. And so some of them are minor and some of them are majors. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's a, you know, they're, they're half an hour into a world championship and, uh, some bonehead, uh, pulls a gong show move and, and my athlete breaks their collarbone, uh, you know, barely into the event. Now it's my job to not only get them back on the bike, but it's my job to get them back to that next world championship. And so whether it's accidents or fate or whatever the case is, every athlete that I've worked with has faced some really tough times. And so it's my job to not only get them towards the outcome that they'd asked me to get them to, but it's then my job to improve them or or take that moment and not make it a life lesson but make it a learning moment that they are stronger for whether it's diverse uh, sorry whether it's the divorce or whether it's car accident is a non-factor to me what is important is what does that athlete want in the now what did they want from me the day before this new thing threw a curveball at them and where do I think they should go and uh, maybe where they want to go and where I think they should go is two different things and usually in these kind of really really tough moments it's not that the athlete will give up on themselves but they will want to maybe take a hallway pass for a little while but that's not my way and that doesn't mean that I'm gonna like kick them right in the arse immediately but there'll be some arse kicking but maybe it's mentally or emotionally or something but I never take off the pressure on on anyone that I work with it's a matter of how much pressure they're gonna get not will they get some pressure so I will adjust them in the moment so that they're a better person irrespective of the struggles that they're facing Gotcha. Um, for me, just trying to recover my point here. From what I understand about proper leadership, it there is an objective and how you get there is within reason irrelevant, right? And 
from what I understand, your objective objective is to make them an ass kicker, make them the best version of themselves. And I have learned for myself that that might not look like how I originally envisioned it because I, a lot of my identity is to do with drawing. And since I, my illustration work isn't, you know, it, that, that career isn't quite as active as I had thought it would be at this point in time. I had felt that I was failing to some extent. There were some things like putting in genuine effort and improving foundational aspects of my drawing and, and the steps needed to get myself out there more. But I also, like you thought about it in terms of the effort and not the payoff for me, I guess for the collective, I, I realized that I foundationally am a storyteller. I'm the core of an artist is to, uh, according to some is to essentially crystallize a lot of people's internal emotions, like what people, what's happening inside. I make it visible and accessible for someone else to experience. And that can be done a number of ways that can be done through writing, photography, podcasting, and these are all things that I'm doing. So I realized that just because I'm not some rock star artist doing this or that, it doesn't mean I'm still not on the path. And I've actually found taking different routes to get to the same objective has led me to have a more well-rounded game, so to speak, because now I have a number of different skills that I can draw on. And I'm still actually working a lot of the same principles of say art in these different uh, avenues that I'm exploring. So that has actually fed into what I do, no matter what the domain is. I, I agree. I, you know, these are, that's a super valuable conversation that you just put out. And I wish we had more time because uh, this morning, I put up a little uh, post in my Instagram stories, and it was of a uh, some sort of a monk looking off into the stylized mountains in zazen posture or in a meditative posture with the uh, cross-legged uh, sitting on a rock. And uh, someone who follows me on Instagram said, uh, cool, but that's not art, bro. Uh, and I disagree. And, and I'm paraphrasing him here, uh, and I hope he listens to this uh, later today. Uh, I definitely disagree with uh, his position on that because as you just stated, art, I feel, is uh, something that is a creative process that speaks to you and possibly speaks to other people around you. Now, I use digital AI. I did. I used uh, MidJourney. But uh, just like a painter uses a brush, the brush in this sense is AI. It's an inanimate object. That brush is an inanimate object. It only becomes worthwhile or creates beauty as an artist if you know how to move the brush or if you can disappear as you hold the brush. And so that's how I look at AI art or mid-journey art, digital art. That art doesn't exist until I interact with it. I interact with that digital brush and I put my soul into the moment and disappear in the moment and the product or the outcome is what it is. And uh, the product that I put out this morning 
wasn't something that I had in my mind's eye as the finished product. It was just me interacting with a digital brush and disappearing in the moment and snapping my eyes open and being mildly impressed by the outcome. And so art is a fascinating topic that we should have dug into a little bit deeper earlier into this conversation. So maybe we can stack that uh, topic uh, for, for another time. Chance is giving a thumbs up for the record for anyone right just on. listening. Right on. <laughs> yeah. And while this isn't me bursting your bubble or anything, I, I don't know enough about AI, especially in regards to ethics and how that all works. So that's a big asterisk as to what I'm saying. I actually, I like, I, I like the art that you put out and, and I feel that yes, it is just a tool because this very similar conversations were being had where Photoshop came in and now oh no, it's not real art. And that is a whole podcast unto itself. It is. And it is. Yeah, we can definitely reserve it for another time. Um, Let's do that. I know we're just over time right now. So I I would love for you to close it out because I can't remember the, the spiel that the chance says. <laughs> and if well, I, I improv, I, it'll be... I won't be able to mimic his uh, closing uh, wrap-ups because he does them so well. There's a pat on Chance Pearls' back. Uh, so I'm going to end with this. Uh, Tanya, thanks for joining me over here uh, on The Collective this morning as we talked about uh, a variety of different subjects. Um, I think that we will have to dig into this topic a little bit deeper at another time, maybe with a larger panel, maybe with chance even. Uh, so uh, for now, uh, thanks for joining me. And uh, join us here tomorrow on The Collective where we learn, build, and grow as a team and become better uh, in all things ass-kicking. Chimo. Bye, guys. <laughs>